Should we kick this thing off then, or do you want to do some small talk first? Uh, small talk. I know, Ruby. <laughs> I was going to make the same joke. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a a new member of our regular panel, and that is Jim Gay. Thank you for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself really quick, Jim? Sure. Um, I am uh, currently writing Clean Ruby, which is about uh, writing applications that reflect business processes a little bit better than we typically do it. Um, I am the I'm a co-founder of Arlington Ruby, which is uh, a meetup in the DC area. Um, I'm also I'm the co-organizer of that, co-organizer of DC Rug, and uh, I used to be a graphic designer, and I did a lot of freelance graphic design work, and then started getting into Ruby when I heard about Rails and saw how great it was. Uh, I guess about I don't know six or seven years ago, uh, probably six. I don't know. I, I I never marked it on the calendar, so whenever it was, it was one point something or other that I got involved. So that's my story. Wow. So how long have you been freelance? Um, I actually started freelancing when I was still in college in 99. And um, I graduated in 2000. And um, I always, I kind of hate it when people say like how long they've been doing stuff because I hear other, you know, developers say, oh, well, I started programming, you know, when I was four. And it sounds really impressive um, <laughs> and intimidating. You know, like if you're, if you're just getting started and people are listening to the podcast, like, oh, geez, he's been freelancing since he was still in college. I just started. It really doesn't matter. I mean, sure, I've been doing it for a while, but there's, you know, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be more successful just because you started at a certain age or, or something like that. So, Right, that well, makes sense. It's the same. That's the same. Like, what is it? I have thirty years of experience versus I have thirty of the first year of experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, you know, how long have you been programming Ruby? You know, how relevant is that when it's well? I just kind of hang out with the other Ruby developers on my development team and handle all the simple stuff for them. You know, you can be doing that for ten years and you're not necessarily a highly experienced, highly skilled developer. Right. So, yeah, I can see that. But you've been doing it for more than 10 years. <laughs> yes. Yes, more than 10 years. You know, enough to um, have figured out when I ought to say no and uh, uh, when I ought to go after something. And uh, still learning, though. You know, there's always new techniques or negotiation tactics or um, just ideas. So Right. And don't you have a, an open source cms or something that you work on yes uh radiant cms is um the oldest uh rail cms i think it was there was a um 
gosh, I can't remember the name of it now, but there was a plugin, Comatose. Comatose was a plugin that did CMS, and, and Radiant was like the first application that you could get going with. Um, and so I've been the lead developer on that project for uh, over two years now. I've been contributing to it for maybe um, four years or building extensions for it for about that long. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, and I've been working on that in my spare time. You know, it used to be that I'd do a lot of Radiant stuff, and I'd meet people and say, oh, you do Radiant. Oh, you must do a lot of websites. And at the time, that was true. But then over time, you get good at something, and people hire you just for your Ruby development skills or just, you know, managing a team. And so, unfortunately, I've not been able to put as much time into Radiant as I'd like, but it's just one of those things that's, like, always there. I can sort of... Uh, you know, exercise my brain on it when I have some spare time and I have to get away from client work. Okay. So one more thing um, as far as introductions go before we get going, and that is, is how do people find you on the web? Uh, my website is SaturnFlyer.com and my handle on Twitter and GitHub or SaturnFlyer. And um, that's pretty much how they find me. Okay, cool. All right, so the topic that we have on the calendar this week is insurance. Now, I'm assuming that we all have insurance of various types. Is there a particular type of insurance that you guys want to start with? When I first heard this, I thought it was mostly going to be about, like, immediately what jumped into my head was liability insurance. Right, for the business. Yeah. Right, so so really quickly, um, insurance is something that you have to provide for yourself or your business as you get going and, and liability insurance for, for your business is definitely one of those. Eric, do you carry liability insurance for your business? No, I haven't had to. And most of the clients I've worked with, I've either done subcontracting under them. So I was under their policy or they just didn't need it. Didn't care about it at all. You know, like small companies and stuff. So I haven't had the need to, I've thought about it, you know, every now and then, but just, it hasn't been a requirement. Right. Uh, what about you, Jim? Do you currently carry liability insurance? I don't. It's sort of the thing that I've been fearful about. Like when I saw that this was the topic, I thought, oh, great. I'm not going to really know much about this. But I, I've i had contracts where they've required it, and then I've gone and looked for it. Um, and I actually had lunch with Evan Light yesterday, and, and we were talking about it. And, and that was pretty much his experience, too. Like a lot of startups... You know, that he works with, he just puts in the contract, you know, very clear about the liability, and um, he never gets it. He may correct me, but as far as I know, he's never had to get it. I've only needed it once, but for the most part, no, I, I, it hasn't been a concern. Though I do know someone in, um, in the D.C. Rug community, uh, Charles Calvert, who has, you know, admonished me and said, you really got to get it because I ran into problems myself and, you know, got you know, shorted out of some money because of management problems and the hammer comes down on you and then all of a sudden you're, you know, fighting a legal battle. Right. And and from what I understand, the liability insurance is there for exactly that. So if you get sued over your work for one reason or another and they're suing you for, for damages caused by defective code or, you know, suing you because you didn't fill some end of the contract or something like that, then um, the liability insurance um, is what will ultimately pay out and save your business. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, to a point. I mean, 
this it's kind of confusing i mean because it's insurance it's financial and it's also legal stuff but there's also let me see if i can get it's right uh so there's professional liability and errors and omissions which is i think that's more what we have to get if we're like coding errors and stuff that's what like attorneys or doctors might have if like they screw up like they're supposed to be the professional they're supposed to be know what they're doing and they do something wrong but then there's also general liability which is i think that's also okay so there's general liability which is just like anything happens like if someone comes to your office and slips and falls that goes under general liability and then there's also um, another one i heard is umbrella policy which is just like this huge like several million dollar policy which just kind of like an umbrella covers everything that can happen so i i've heard people having to get some general liability but it's mostly like professional liability and errors and omissions is what they need mm-hmm. and then also I'm, I'm looking at a site that i've did some research on before i think it looks like it also covers like copyright infringement and stuff like that so it might do some ip protection and all that yeah that makes sense I'm looking on Wikipedia, and it pretty much says what I'm seeing, or what I said before, and that is is if you get sued. I mean, obviously the policy is an insurance policy, so they stipulate what they cover and what they don't. So if you get sued or something for something that is that doesn't apply to the policy, then they won't cover it. But Yeah, and I mean, the kind of... Because I actually have a finance background, so like the whole point of insurance is to take a risk of some action happening off of you as a business or a person and transferring it to the insurance provider. And it's a statistical thing in that, you know, they find maybe one out of a hundred businesses get sued for, you know, an error in their code. So therefore the insurance provider can insure all hundred people and they're only probably going to have to have that happen for one of them. And so it's, it's just a risk, I guess, adjustment from, you know, the little company to the insurer and so it's almost all insurance policies, especially if liability, are going to only come up if you get sued or a legal action is taken against you. But it's the, the scope of it's kind of a, that's kind of the fuzzy details and why they have so many different names and packages. Yep. So I'm, I'm also wondering, and I want to disclaim all this by saying that we're not insurance agents, attorneys, or financial advisors. Just to make that clear, you know, you should probably talk to a professional if you're worried about this to figure out whether or not you want insurance. And I I recommend that you talk to both an attorney and an insurance person. Um, the insurance okay. salesman will tell you that you need to buy it because they'll get a commission off of it. So find somebody with some integrity and, and make sure that you're you're getting the, the facts straight. Um, but uh, yeah, I've I, I I have to wonder: Can you put the liability back on the client in your contract, or is that not binding enough? Well, I mean, it's it's legal at that point. I mean, because what's going to happen is you're going to get sued, or let's say you get sued for doing or not doing X. The courts are going to probably look at your contract, look at your agreements, all your emails, figure out who is liable. And whenever they make a decision and reach a judgment, that's going to be either in favor of you saying no, the client's wrong. The, you know the freelancers in the right therefore there's no damages awarded or they're going to find it the other way in that yeah the client's right the pre- freelancer needs to pay the client one million dollars in damages and then that's when the insurance kicks in because the insurance at that point would pay the million dollars to the mm-hmm. client instead of the the business but in all honesty also like depending on legal structure and you know what kind of 
how you're operating and all that, some of that might be protected just by having a corporation or how you have stuff organized. And, you know, that's like you said, Chuck, like if you have to talk to an attorney for legal stuff and then, you know, maybe an accountant and, you know, insurance broker. And you, you kind of have a, a bit of advisors to figure out how you're liable or how you could be liable. Right. Absolutely. Do you have anything to add, Jim? Um, I sort of second that. I mean, I, I've, when I've had to look into it, I've made sure that I talk to the right people about it. I mean, I, I don't know anything about it and I'd much rather have, you know, people who spend their, their hours (laughs) every day figuring out what the best thing is. And sometimes it's just good to find the right person and take their advice. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I know my dad has liability insurance for his business. But uh, he also has like a physical office um, and he has malpractice insurance because he's a dentist. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so that kind of thing, it, it kind of falls along the same lines. But his concern is like somebody's going to slip and fall on the, on the sidewalk outside his dental office or, you know, somebody will sue him for malpractice, which has never actually happened in the 25 years he's been practicing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing that you kind of worry about and think about. Um, when you're talking about liability insurance, um, generally, uh, at least for the brick and mortar businesses. So we're kind of in a different space there. Yeah. And I mean, if you do have an office or, I mean, I don't know where co-working stuff kind of fills in, but I, I seem to remember that to get a, a lease, you might be required to show proof of insurance. I mean, just like on the personal side, to buy a house, you have to kind of show proof of homeowner's insurance, which mm-hmm. covers almost the same things as general liability, but for personal at your house versus like an actual business. So, you know, like, like I said, co-working is kind of the oddball. I don't know where that falls, but, you know, if you get an office or have an office, you're, you're probably going to want general liability. I mean, just if a visitor comes by and hurts himself, like that's going to cover you. Yep. Yeah, I I uh, wonder about that though. It's it's kind of like uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about testing and how you, when you write your applications, you need to make sure you're testing first, or you're you're just at least testing in general. But a lot of developers just don't do it, or they don't understand how to do it. And uh, liability insurance is kind of the same thing. Like uh, you know, when I was starting out and I first went to an office somewhere, I just shared a space with a. Uh, uh, it was a PR firm, and they had an extra office, and I just paid them on a monthly basis. And there might be a lot of f- freelancers out there who are doing the same thing. They know somebody who's got extra space, and they just take the office. And you know, insurance is probably a uh, liability insurance is probably something you ought to look into and figure out. Do you really need it? But um, you know, I know at the time I was just so stressed out about just getting my business off the ground that I wasn't even thinking. What if uh, some ceiling tile falls in someone's head and hurts them? You know, am I going to be uh, covered for that? It, you know, a, a lot of what you're doing when you're starting out is just figuring out how can I make money. You know, and you you sort of put those things aside. But liability insurance should certainly be on your list of things to investigate the next time you sit down and start searching for you know things to better your business. Yeah, one thing that while you were talking kind of came to mind for me was if you are following best practices, so you're, you know, you're putting tests around all your code, you're you're doing all of the things right, you know, that are generally accepted to produce high quality code and yet you still produce code that somebody sues you over, does that reduce your liability in the sense that does it reduce the risk that you'll actually lose the lawsuit? That I mean, is a- yeah, <laughs> I think like, a perfect question for an attorney. <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have to ask my attorney and then see see what he has to say. 
Yeah, I mean, if you have an attorney and a judge that understands TDD and best practices, then yeah, like that might. But I mean, and that's kind of what you know, going to court is going to be. You need to represent and show like, here's all the things we did to make sure your data was secure and that the code would work correctly. And you know, like that might help build your case. But I mean, it's but it, realistically, as like a solo or small business freelancer type stuff. If you get sued and have to go to court, you're out a ton of money whether you win or lose. Like, and that's that's just a reality of it. I mean, it costs a lot just to even go into court. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I think we've covered. Is there anything else to cover on this, or are we pretty well? Have we pretty well covered everything that we know or want to say about it? Um, there's one thing I know just from the personal side. If you do go looking for insurance, it's a really good idea to look for an insurance broker. Basically, like Chuck, you were saying earlier, like if you go to an insurance salesman, they're going to sell you their products. And most insurance salesmen work for one specific company, like ABC Insurance Incorporated. So they're going to push that stuff. Whereas a broker is more of, they're a bit of a middleman, but they also have access to other things. So a broker might be able to sell you ABC Insurance, but they might also have XYZ Insurance and, you know, global tech or whatever insurance and so they can kind of work with you to figure out what policy is going to be better maybe the best price um you know this and that and some brokers will get a commission and so you know they might be a bit of a bias to kind of sell you more than what you need but then on the other hand some brokers just get a flat fee so that's one thing to look at and then i also know if you actually get like a financial planner or something like that you can pay someone a flat rate or an hourly rate to give you financial advice, but they're not actually selling you stuff. They're just being a consultant and saying, hey, you need to get this insurance. I'm completely unbiased and I'm telling you the best in my opinion. So, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like get get a bunch of people that can advise you and then get their advice, look at the stuff yourself, and then you can make the final decision instead of just walking up to someone and buying the first thing you see. Right. As far as insurance goes and as far as finding... um brokers the ones that i the one that i really like or that i've used to find insurance people is uh i've gone through daveramsey.com if you click on his endorsed local providers um they i i have yet to use any of the professionals he's recommended and, and be disappointed in the service i got and he he recommends for insurance he recommends the general brokers so uh that's a good resource i'll put a link in the show notes for that is there anything else we need to cover on liability before we move on to some of the other insurance types? I don't think so. I think that what actually what uh, Eric was saying was a good segue because I, uh, my wife and I talked to a financial advisor on a you know periodic basis, and he's the person that I go to to you know help me plan my business as well. So he's helping me grow and figure things out and make sure I'm putting money in the right place, but. I go to him when I need to figure out what are we going to do with our health insurance or who should I talk to for liability insurance. So he's sort of like the, the person that I that I would go to to ask any of those questions. And if he doesn't know, I expect to get from him either the one resource that he thinks is the best or you know a couple of good options to help me narrow down my choices. But that's how um, I got my health insurance. So we, you know, we I think I was cold called by some insurance saleswoman and she was very nice and I talked to her about you know my family and what we needed for our health health insurance or health coverage and she was fine but um I, I don't know it just seemed really expensive to me but I thought well I'm on my own you know I, I it's just going to be expensive and 
shortly thereafter, we got involved with our current financial advisor, and he found plans for us that were less than half the cost of what we had heard from others. Um, so it's sort of a, I don't know what your experience is, Chuck or Eric, but um, I was shocked to hear that it was so much cheaper than what I had you know, heard from, uh, obviously, a, a saleswoman calling me up. Yeah, my, my experience is a little bit different, mainly because I have a chronic health issue. Um, I have type 2 diabetes. And so um, when I try and get health insurance, I just get laughed at, um, which is kind of a problem if you're independent and your wife doesn't work and have health insurance of her own. Um, and, and that really wasn't an option for us. It wasn't something I wanted my wife to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything about anyone whose wife works because honestly, you know, I understand everybody has a different lifestyle and, and, you know, some, some people just don't want to be at home or, or feel like they have to work or whatever. And, and that's totally fine. But, you know, our situation was such to where I'm the sole provider and I'm the one that had to go find health insurance. And so, um, we went through the endorsed local provider to see what we could get, and they honestly could not find a plan that would take me. Um, I applied to a couple of them, and the the rates were either outrageous or they uh, they just declined me. And so what wound up happening for us is they found my wife um, a good deal on decent insurance, and it cost a ton less than I thought it would. Um, going through them, and, and it's just a local company here, probably 20 minutes away from my house. And then um, what they did is they invite, advised me to go to the state, uh, and the state of Utah has a, has a health insurance pool um, that they've contracted with one of the local HMOs to provide. And so I actually have my own health insurance policy that I'm on myself. And, huh. um, and it's the only way that I can get insurance at a reasonable cost. And so I just I just went for the high deductible plan, and um, I get a certain amount of free preventative care. So, you know, when I go in and get a diabetes well checkup kind of thing, then those are usually covered 100%. But then, like my uh, my medication and things like that, I have to pay for out of pocket. So um, anyway, it was kind of an interesting deal for us. But yeah, I mean, my wife and four kids are all on. Um, on the health insurance plan. Um, I'm trying to remember who she's, who her plan is with. Um, but yeah, then I just went through the state and, and, and worked that out. And so we're, my premium is actually about as much as hers is, but it's, it's still considerably cheaper than w- a single family plan that, that would have had all of us on there for the ones that I could get qualified for. So uh, w- what's your situation for health insurance, Eric? Um, so, Let's see when we first when I first started freelancing, my wife was working and had really good health insurance. And then she left that job, and for a while, there went into a temp agency, um, and basically was you know worked at different places all over the place just to try to figure out like what she wanted to do, what industry she wanted to get into because the one she was in she didn't like. And so the problem with that is you're talking about changing your job every six to nine months, and so. That's not even enough to qualify for health insurance, let alone get on it. And the few that we would be able to get on, we would basically get on it and then lose it when she changes her position. And so after a while, we ended up just looking around and went through an insurance broker and basically just got, I think she got like 14 or so quotes of like, you know, we'll give you this much for, you know, this much a month. And then we picked one. And since then, she's gone and worked at two different companies that had health insurance and we've actually declined them. Because it's 
it's so much easier just to get a personal plan and then just hold on to that. Especially because, I mean, me and her, we're both pretty young. So we are like, our careers are pretty active, I guess, right now. And it was just easier to hold on to this self-insure, not self, this personal insurance plan than it is to kind of, oh, she's on this employer plan. We got to pick a new doctor. Oh, look, this employer changed their plan next year. Now we got to pick a different doctor. And so we were able to kind of stabilize and just like, this is what we're going to have. And by that time, my business was actually past, I think, the two-year mark. And so insurers would look at it and say, okay, this is an established business. It's not a new business. And so they looked at it as actual income versus like, this is a risky venture for them. So we just have kind of run-of-the-mill insurance and you know, it's just through us. And so if she goes to a different career or, if, you know, I need to do stuff in my company, the, the insurance stays there and we don't have to change anything. Right. So I'm a little curious. Um, do you guys have any kind of uh, health savings account or anything else attached to your insurance plan? Um, we have something. Um, she got it through her employer. This is the first year we tried it. I don't care for it because I don't know if it's a health savings account or there's another one that's another three-letter acronym, but it's... It's nice in a tax reason, but if I kind of feel like we're going to lose money on it because it's the kind where at the end of the year, the account goes down to zero again. And so, um, you know, we had a lot of expenses because we just had our baby, but a lot of that wasn't, we didn't pay for it with that account and just this and that. So I don't know, like I, I couldn't recommend someone doing this or not yet, but that's something you can look at too. Yeah. My last employer before I went freelance, um, they had uh, a health savings account. Um, which is, I think, different from the cafeteria plan or something, which is the one that zeroes out at the end of the year. So the uh, HSA, you can you can sock away as much money as you want, and as long as you spend it on um, health-related things, then it is, uh, you know, you don't pay taxes on it. You take the money out pre-tax. And uh, that was really nice, and it's, it's a nice way of kind of building an emergency fund for medical emergencies. Um, and we actually, we we used all of ours up about, six months after I had no it was almost a year it was almost a year after um, I had been laid off from that last job um, my daughter had uh, surgery on her on her eye and we just paid for it out of that and that, that wiped it out then we were out of money anyway so so they are nice they're they're definitely a cool way to go if you want to just suck money away and save up for for medical stuff but yeah that um, I I think we're switching to a plan that has that. We, that's that's the other thing. We've been like reevaluating our health plans over time. We haven't just picked one and stuck with it. Um, but uh, we just had our fourth child like two and a half months ago, and we're pretty sure we're done having kids. So we looked for a plan uh, that didn't have maternity coverage, and um, and we're looking at one that has. Uh, um, health savings plan in it as well, where you know it rolls over. You don't have to use it all up. And I have no idea how that's going to go. Like when we first started looking at health plans, we avoided that because we actually didn't want to um, worry about receipts. We were busy doing other things and we just didn't feel like tracking our like receipts from going to the drugstore and going to the grocery store and compiling all that just to save a few bucks. But now we're looking at it from a different perspective and we're thinking, well, okay, now this is a plan where we can just kind of put money into it and add to it over time. We don't have to worry about losing it all. Uh, so, you know, it's depending on your needs, it's always good to reevaluate what's out there. So you get something six months later, just take a second look uh, because there might be some new 
thing on the market from the insurance companies to that you know might better provide for you. Yeah, one thing that I did find with that HSA is that they gave us a separate debit card that was connected to the HSA. So I mean, it was pretty apparent if you were charging it at the doctor's office and things like that. So you didn't have to keep tabs on everything. Sure. And and I think I think the way that it worked was like if you bought something at Walmart pharmacy or something. Um, you know, it just goes through the register as a regular charge to Walmart. And if I remember right, it actually reported what you bought on on it. And so, you know, you kind of got an automatic audit in there. And I don't remember having to keep any receipts or anything to prove that we spent the money on health stuff. Yeah, and I just looked it up. We have an FSA, which is a flexible spending account, which a subset of that is the cafeteria plan. And, in a, and there's also a health FSA, which is not to be confused with the HSA. So, yeah, and that seems to be the difference. In the U.S., the FSA is the one that gets cleared, like, every year, whereas the HSA, the health savings account, is one that kind of you can use it year after year. So we have an FSA, and I don't like the FSA. Is there a reason that you would go with an FSA over an HSA? It's going to depend. I mean, I know with the FSA, we we put money into that pre-tax so you know we don't have to pay taxes on that income type thing um and i don't know but her employer might match it to a certain point and so i don't know how it is with the hsa there might not be employer matching that there is because this employer they 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 didn't match it but they put a fixed amount in every month okay yeah so i mean it i think it's that and then also you know fsa might get different discounts from the hsa and i mean it's there, I mean, there's millions and millions of stuff. I mean, I've, I see five different three-letter acronyms just on the summary page of Wikipedia for the FSA. So it's like, this, this is why you talk to a broker. I mean, you you really can't be an expert in this stuff. You can, you know, get a summary overview and ask them, like, hey, should I open an FSA or HSA? And they're going to be the ones that can compare the nuts and bolts to you, I think. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you talk to them and you don't understand what you're buying, don't buy it. Um, you know, make them explain it to you so that you understand what the repercussions are of buying an HSA over an FSA and, you know, what, what kind of insurance plan you want to get, you know, whether it's a high deductible, um, where you're saving a little bit of money and then you get covered over a certain amount and, you know, what, what, what it all means, you know, make sure that you get educated because, you know, if you sit down with them for a couple hours or even for an hour or so, and they can just explain to you what you're buying, then you can make the right decision for you. I don't particularly care for the health insurance brokers or agents or salespeople or whatever that basically just sit down with you, talk to you about your situation, and then say, well, then you need this. Anyway, um, is there anything else to to share about health insurance before we move on to another topic? I don't know much about it, but I know the Obamacare stuff is actually changing a lot of this stuff. And I mean, my wife's in human resources, so I hear about it from her, but I also have some other people I've talked to about it. And so all of this stuff might be changing in the next few years. I mean, there's a lot of this is up in the air. So it, especially if you are using like, like, you know, your spouse's plan where it's like, it's the employer controls and it can change from year to year. And so try not to worry about getting like a perfect system like this health insurance system will help us for the next 20 years. Just try to worry about what's going to help you in the next year. or So, you know, just to, to keep you going. Yeah, um, I, I I definitely don't want to get into any of the political whatever related to um, 
Obamacare, but yeah, that's something to be aware of that it is going to change some of the rules. Yeah, I mean, politics aside, like, you know, there's there's stuff happening from it, whether you believe it's right or not, or don't even know what it is. I mean, it's, you know, when laws get changed, industries change. Yep, absolutely. So, um, another, another type of insurance that I want to talk about um, is life insurance, mainly because I feel like it's, you know, we, we all have families, and it's, it's something where if something happens to me, then, you know, our income's gone. And so I've, I've really looked into this. Um, it turns out that life insurance, unlike health insurance, you can actually get a policy without having to, you know, wh- where I have type 2 diabetes, I can still get a reasonable rate on a term life insurance. And uh, the only caveat to that is that all of the numbers that they measure your health by when you're diabetic have to all be in line. So, you know, all of my... Uh, hemoglobin a1c number which is kind of your your overall uh, blood sugar over the last several months um, my current blood sugar um, my cholesterol and you know lipid counts and all those things have to have to be in line and then i can get term health insurance for a reasonable amount at a reasonable rate but so it's i mean it's kind of like with life insurance it's like okay are you healthy how healthy are you that's going to determine your rate well for you if the the chronic stuff it's like how healthy healthier are you relative to type 2 diabetes right yeah I, I definitely don't get the the same term rate that somebody without diabetes would get but you know it, it is something that i am willing to pay for that that level of insurance and uh my my current general rule for what i'm looking for is um basically i was just looking to get like 10 times my annual income and that way my wife could get by for quite a while especially if she's a little bit more frugal with it than we are with the money we make um you know and and take care of the kids and maybe go back to school or whatever and and pay off the house or whatever it is so that she can get by on it and and not feel like she's in a big crunch yeah i mean cut me off if i talk too much because my wife's father is actually sells life insurance so i've talked with him at length about it but the whole point of life insurance it's life is kind of the weird term for it it's when you, when someone passes away the insurance is supposed to help the other people in the family to get back on their feet and right. so for you know it counts burial expenses a little bit but it's mostly to replace the income so in your case chuck since you're the sole provider of your family you need enough for your wife to get back on her feet and either making an income or pay off debts and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so, exactly. I mean, how, you have what, four kids you said? I have four kids, yep. Yeah, so it's like that's a significant amount, whereas for us, um, you know, a couple of years back, we were renting, we had no kids, we had very low expenses, so we got life insurance, but it was very, very little because if one of us passed away, we were both working and theoretically, we one of us could just keep working at our job and still pay for everything. So we had very little life insurance that was just to cover, like, you know, after the death, recovering and getting back into work. But now that we have a house and we have a daughter, it's like we're going to have to, you know, crank up our life insurance just in case because there's more, there's more at risk. And so that's, that's one way to look at life insurance is like it's not a big payout. It's not so someone can retire. It's to kind of replace an income that just went away. Yeah, and my parents, it's kind of the same deal where, my my mom's a math teacher. My dad owns his own business as a dentist. 
And uh, so basically, my mom has a life insurance policy on her. I don't think my dad qualifies, and I don't think he carried one before his health really started to deteriorate. So he really can't get it unless he gets whole life, which is another can of worms. But anyway, so basically, it's enough to like pay off my parents' house. Or if something happened to both of them, it'd be enough so that um, I, I have two sisters that are under 18. Um, and then the, re- the rest of my brothers and sisters that currently live at my parents' house would just be out of luck. But, uh, you know, so we would get them. And I believe we're, we or they are the beneficiaries in some way that, you know, it's put in trust for them or something um, so that we can take care of them. And so, you know, that, that it's an interesting thing, but yeah, it's, it, it's kind of to help the survivors and, and take care of things that way. It's, um, the other thing that I know both my wife and I looked at is, you know, we earned different amounts. And so replacing the income of one of us should, should one die was different. So we didn't just mm-hmm. say, all right, well, we need this amount no matter who dies because we both had careers that could make different levels of income, so we had to adjust the life insurance for each person. Yeah, that, that's true. My wife doesn't work, but we have a policy on her that's basically enough to pay off the house. And so one way or the other, I could either hold on to the money and pay childcare so that I can get work done during the day, or I could pay off the house and then not have a mortgage and pay for childcare so I could work through the day. Yeah, so I mean, in that way... You're not necessarily replacing an income, but you're replacing uh, an expense that's going to come up, which is going to be childcare. Right. Yeah. And one thing, um, I don't know if all policies have that. I think some have stuff, but there's a few that will kind of increase the amounts each year to kind of keep with inflation. So, like, say you start at 100000 you know, it might go 5000 each year without you doing anything, automatic approval. And I think you have to pay a bit more, obviously, but that's a nice thing if you kind of figure out what you need and then you just kind of set it and you can kind of forget about it and check in like once a year and it's it's nice in that you don't come out 20 years later and be like oh wow we never updated our policy and we have 20 dollars life insurance and i say that because um one of our family members passed a while ago and she had life insurance of 500 bucks because she bought it in like the 20s or 30s and it didn't have that automatically renewing. I mean, she wasn't paying very much for it, but it was like the paperwork was so much compared to the actual value you got out of it. Yeah, I, I want to go into uh, whole life just for a minute because when we first got life insurance, uh, that's all I could qualify for because my diabetes was not under control. And if that's all you can get, then it's probably still worth it. Just be aware that uh, of a couple of things. And, and let me explain what whole life is real quick. The difference between whole life and term life is the whole life you're paying in and they're putting it in some kind of savings or investment, but you're never going to get as much money out as you put in because you're also paying for an insurance policy. And anyway, so if you can get term life, you get much better coverage, but you don't get anything out at the end. And in whole life you do, but like I said, it's it's generally not a very good investment. So if you're buying whole life thinking it's an investment, it's not a great deal. However, if that's the only way you can get life insurance and you want to make sure that at least something's taken care of, then that's what we did. And, and the policy I got, I think I was paying like 100 bucks a month for $100,000 of coverage which really would have just covered like funeral expenses and given my wife a, maybe a year's runway to kind of get, get things together before she'd have to go back to work. But at least it was something. And, and now I can go out and I can qualify for a much better plan, get term insurance. 
but I just want to put that out there because if that's the only thing that you can qualify for and it's worth it for at least a little bit of peace of mind, then that's something that you may need to consider. Yeah, I mean, a way to look at whole life is whole life insurance is basically term life insurance and a retirement account. And the retirement account, you can only invest the money into the company, the insurance company. And for the most part, insurance companies aren't that great of investors in insurance plans. So you're getting a term life insurance plan and you're getting a kind of crappy investment. And so you're paying for all that extra. Now, like Chuck said, if you have to, like if that's the only one you can get, that might be a good thing. But, you know, if, if that's your first choice, that might not be the most, the best use of your money. I mean, it might be better to get term life insurance and then just get like an IRA or, you know, any other uh, retirement plan and invest that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of the idea with term insurance is that we're all hoping if you get a 20-year 20, 20 term or 30-year term that by the time the term is up in 20 years that you're wealthy enough to where if something happens to you, they're just taken care of because you have money in an IRA or you have enough money in the bank to where you know things just you know get taken care of out of your bank account. You, you don't have to count on the insurance company to, to take care of your family. Exactly. And I mean, that's, that's the point is like, when you're retired, like, you know, 65, or whatever, the point of term insurance is to replace income. Well, you have your retirement and if it's still around social security to replace your income. So you don't need the term insurance to replace anything. And burial expenses are, they're significant, but they're not a lot compared to the income replacement amounts. So you might actually carry a little bit of term insurance just to cover burial costs, but the point is you're supposed to have investments and savings and all that stuff built up by the time, you know, by the time you're, you know, about to pass away or whatever. I had a conversation about all this with a friend of mine a couple of years ago, and we sort of had this pact together because we were both running our own businesses and doing consulting work. And we realized that on top of needing the life insurance, um, there might be you know, our, our wives might need help either winding the business down or selling it or something like that. So we agreed with each other that if something terrible happened, we would step in because we knew a bit about each other's businesses and try to help um, sort of take care of that. So it's not directly related to, you know, filling out forms and buying life insurance and that type of thing, but it's like making sure you have either a trusted friend or family member who will be there, who knows something about your business, who can tidy things up when, you know, you have a grieving spouse. I, I really yeah, like that idea. I need, to do. I need to do that. And I, I definitely know a couple of people around here who I could trust to do that. So that's well, a terrific idea. I mean, trust is one thing, but another thing you can do is you can also have an attorney do that. And, you know, you can have what is like, kind of like they, some of the attorneys have to store your wills Well, you can have kind of this information in there. So it, it, you know, gets opened up the attorney either hires someone or does it themselves and kind of winds that stuff down. The oh, executor of the state or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's something to kind of think about too. And, you know, the only problem I have with that is you're going to have to share your root password. And that's kind of scary to me. Right. Yeah. And I kind of wonder with like the podcast stuff and things like that, you know, as far as like programming, freelancing, I mean, obviously, my wife can't run the business after I'm gone because she doesn't have a clue what I do. But um, as far as like the podcasts and things like that, I think there's some value there that she could continue to, uh, you know, put together and maybe just hire somebody to do some of the stuff that I do as far as like, you know, just managing the business and, you know, making sure that the podcasts get recorded and stuff. 
And so, you know, I, I think, I think I do need to sit down and kind of make a plan with her as well and just say, okay, well, here's what you're going to need to know, you know, if something happens to, to, to run that part of the business or to, you know, hire, hire somebody to do it or to sell it. Yeah. And I mean, even if it gets changed, like, you know, she decides not to do what you planned. I mean, just talking about it with her might be a good thing just so she knows and can kind of understand all the different aspects of, you know, what your business actually is because we're single business, single person businesses. So it's like, if we pass away or we're incapable of working, then pretty much you assume the business is going to go under. I mean, it's basically a fire sale at that point. I think uh, all this is making me think of, uh, I, I don't know what better to call it other than like time insurance. Um, and the Ruby rep uh, is a great example. Uh, Mandy Moore, who helps out a lot of Ruby developers and this show as well, um, she helps ensure, you know, if you have a an assistant who you can lean on, who maybe doesn't do things for you on an ongoing basis, but you have some relationship with, um, when things get hot and you need to offload some type of labor, it's always good to either have subcontractors or assistants or things like that that are there, there and available. Um, so even starting relationships and making sure that you have access to those is probably a good idea um, before you need it. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I know I went on vacation to Canada for, I think it was a week or so. And when I did that, like, I got my clients settled so, like, they had everything they needed and, you know, there's nothing going to happen. But I had, I talked to, I think, two other developers and basically had them on call and told my clients, like, these, I've already talked to these guys, prearranged stuff with them. If there's an emergency, like a server outage type thing, get a hold of them. They'll help you out. Um, because when I was in Canada, I mean, I was literally on an island. They, there was one place I had internet access, and it was basically like a 56K modem type thing. Oh, so I, I couldn't do anything. We would have to take a boat in to get onto the internet. So, you know, I kind of prearranged stuff with other freelancers and basically had them cover me while I was gone. And then I've done the same for some people. When they go on vacation, they'll cover for me. Yeah, and that's that's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing where you have a contingency plan. I. And and I guess that is insurance, you know, should something happen or should, you know, circumstances change. Eric brought up in the in the chat room something that we didn't cover but probably ought to, and that's disability insurance. Uh, do you want to explain? Because I've, I've heard long-term disability, and is there a short-term disability? or? Yeah, and <laughs> Robbie Russell from Planet Argon tweeted the other day, because he was actually talking with an insurance broker, and they their acronym for short-term disability is STD. So Robbie was talking to him about <laughs> STD insurance, which was really funny. But yeah, so... I like that. The, if you really sit down and think about it, the chance you're going to die. Like, that's that's going to happen. But that's going to happen once in your life. And when that happens, you're out of luck. It's done. Maybe disability... Twice. Okay, well, if we're going to get into reincarnation and all that, you know, whatever, but um, you could potentially get disabled and get disabled multiple times, or you could get disabled like tomorrow and not be able to work for the rest of your life, but you still have to pay to live. So a lot of a lot of people actually consider disability insurance to be more important than actual life insurance because, what is it, it's a more frequently, there's a more frequent risk there than um, just dying. And so you can get short-term disability, which I believe covers like uh, you broke your arm or in our case, maybe you hurt your wrist or something. And then there's long-term disability, which is like you cannot work at all anymore. And I don't know all of the details about it, but it's, it's basically along the lines of like, can you work? 
any job? Can you work the, a job comparable to what you were working in? Are you at lower efficiency? And how long? And so my wife went on short-term disability for the very last stage of the pregnancy. And so I think she didn't get paid for, I think, four or five weeks or something. And then disability kicked in and paid for some because she was out of work. Well, as a, a freelancer and as like a developer, really, if you think about it, you were typing a lot. If you hurt your wrists or your fingers, like you could be out of work. And I actually broke my pinky like, I guess a year ago, and I'm an Emacs user. An Emacs user with a broken pinky is really <laughs> useless. I actually had to buy, um, I think, a $200 pedal in order to hit control because I couldn't use my pinky. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, disability insurance, is it's an important one. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know if I have it on myself. I probably should, but it's something a lot of people miss, and it's a little bit more expensive than, I think, life insurance. But I don't think it's as, as much as health insurance. Because it's the frequency factor. Right, and that makes sense. So basically, if you break your neck and you can't drive a keyboard anymore, then then you're probably going to get long-term life insurance or dis- disability insurance. Yeah, or if you know you hit your head and you have migraines and you can't stare at a screen now, okay, you, you know you can't do a job programming. Could you do something else? And so it's that that's actually more common than actually dying, like getting hit by a bus and dying. Mm-hmm. So so, what if what if something happens and I lose my ability to speak? Because I, I I don't know. Oh, for podcasting, yeah, for yeah. Podcasting. I mean, video video casting, you just have to have uh, you know whiteboards or maybe sign language. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, I well, can just I, pantomime the whole thing. Interpretive dance. <laughs> are, are you doing that now? <laughs> you you don't want to see that. Trust me. But uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And and I've heard other people talk about things like that where they where they get the disability insurance. So, in your opinion, is disability insurance more important than life insurance? Um, in my opinion, I would think it is. It's also more expensive and harder to get, um, just because it's you know more factors with it. But I think it's more important, you know, because, like I said, it's you're you're going to get disabled probably more often or more frequently than you're going to die. And I mean, short-term disability is probably. Uh, I mean, it depends on your savings. Like this is all risk. Like if you have you know, a year's worth of cash in the bank as an emergency fund, if you get disabled and say break your arm, you know, that's going to heal in a year. You can just kind of sit around for a year and get healed. You don't need a short-term disability. So it also depends on where you are financially, like what you have as backup and stuff. Right. That makes sense. So are there any other types of insurance that we need to talk about before we get into the picks? None that I know of. There's probably some that uh, I'm, I'm sure someone's going to point out to me that I need, and I'll I'll, I'll have to start doing research then. That'll be insurance uh, podcast number two, right? Yeah, I mean, we didn't get into like auto, home, yeah, that kind of personals. stuff. But but that's that's more personal stuff, and you, you're going to pay for that anyway, whether you're full time employed or not. So I didn't think that we needed to go in on those. I mean, I know there's. I can't remember the details, but if you work at home, there's some technicalities with if you have a home office because you're at home, so it might be covered under your rental, renters or homeowners insurance, but because it's a business, it might not be covered. And so I can't remember, I think it's policy specific, but I think it's the idea if someone breaks into our house and steals our TV, our homeowners insurance covers it. They break into the house and steal my laptop, my business insurance would have to cover it. But if I don't have business insurance, it's not covered. So I don't, I don't know if there's a specific insurance, but if you have a home office 
and you have business equipment in the office, you probably should kind of look into your policies and talk to your broker. Or, you know, if you already have insurance, talk to the people there and make sure your stuff's covered. I mean, you know, that's something to kind of think about if you just assume that your renters or homeowners would cover stuff. It might actually not. Cool. Sounds good. Definitely good advice. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So... I don't know if I picked this before, but this is one of my picks, so it could be not a pick. I don't care. Um, I've been doing the Pomodoro technique for a couple of years now, I think. I, I've, I have old notebooks from when I was an employee where I was actually, I can see I was doing Pomodoro stuff, but I don't remember when I started. But recently I've been noticing I haven't been doing it as good as I used to. And so for those who don't know, Pomodoro technique is like a productivity hack where instead of trying to work and focus for hours at end, you focus for 25 minutes, stop, give yourself a two to five minute break, work again for 25 minutes. And you basically cycle back and forth between that. And so recently I've been kind of like, okay, I need to kind of get back into this. And the nice thing is there's actually the book who book written by the person who actually made the technique. Um, it's freely available on the website. So you can actually get it and learn about it. And I know the pragmatic programmers have, a paid book that you can get that is like, I think it's like illustrated or it has a little bit extra stuff to it. So for me right now, like I said, is I'm having focus problems and I'm not staying on tasks. So this is something that I'm going to start, you know, getting into again. I know it works for me. And so it might be a nice little productivity hack for someone else too. My second pick, this came up just a little bit ago. It's a TED talk by Clay Shirky. It talks to the title is how the internet will one day transform government. Um, it's an interesting talk because he actually gets into talking about Git and GitHub and how that's actually a really good model for arguing, which, you know, like you got the whole trolls and all that stuff with it too. But it's an interesting talk. I actually just watched it about an hour ago and, you know, it has some pretty neat ideas and some pretty kind of like fringe ways of using Git and GitHub and, you know, the whole distributed conversation stuff. So I'll, I'll post a link to that in the show notes. All right, cool. Jim, what are your picks? Uh, first up is the Rails View. I don't know if this has been picked before, but uh, there's a new book out from Pragmatic Programmers called The Rails View, and Jonathan Aid um, is in the D.C. area, and uh, I've been helping coordinate uh, some local meetup groups where he's going around and doing presentation on the, uh, his book. He wrote it with uh, Bruce Williams, and it's, uh, it's a great uh, resource for uh, understanding how to really do things that I think a lot of uh, back-end Ruby developers kind of avoid the, the view side of their Rails applications. So um, definitely check out uh, the Rails view. Second is there's a responsive resources that I came across. Um, I can't remember where I found it, probably on Twitter, but it's uh, just a list of all kinds of links of building responsive uh, web design. Uh, so check that out because there's constantly information coming out, uh, you know, over time and it's tough to keep track of it so this is a good little collection of links and then lastly there's a podcast that I listen to sporadically um, but I've always gotten a lot of uh, good information out of it Um, it's called Manager Tools and it's specifically about becoming a better manager Um, and I started listening to it before I ever was really managing anybody, but I was curious about, you know, what makes up a good manager, how should they behave, what should they do, Um, and it really opened my eyes to how it's really just about, you know, good interpersonal communication and managing uh, priorities well and and, uh, feedback, and it's it's just a fantastic resource. 
for uh, talking with clients. You know, uh, it's not necessarily just managing subordinates, um, but they have a lot of good information there for, um, you know, maybe you're not a manager now, but in the future you want to be a good one. So you should kind of get prepared for when you might have a team of developers uh, working uh, for you. Awesome. All right. Um, I'm going to have to check that one out. I'm a, I'm a podcast junkie. So I love podcasts anyway. Um, so my picks, um, I went out walking the other day and what I like to do sometimes is go and do a walk cast, which is something that uh, a friend of mine, Cliff Ravenscraft does. Um, a walk cast is essentially you go with an audio recorder and you just talk while you walk. Um, and so it's usually about as long as your walk is, um, the podcast and my podcast digital audio recorder that I, that I use for all this stuff, the batteries were dead in it. Now I usually have it plugged in when I'm recording these shows on it, but, uh, anyway, it was set to use the battery first and the, um, the plug, the plug in power second. And so it had sucked the batteries dry. So when I got out there, it was dead and I found another app for my, um, Android phone and it's called easy voice recorder and it seemed to work pretty good. So you can definitely check that out. And I was recording for the intentional excellence podcast, which I'm going to start doing again. Um, it's just kind of an audio journal. So I'll put a link up to that when I have it out. The, my other pick is, uh, well, my second pick is the Dave Ramsey's ELP stuff, just cause I mean, those, those folks have been great. And, uh, we actually went and saw the hunger games as part of the, this particular ELP, they had like a customer appreciation deal. So, um, they sent an email around and I emailed them back and got tickets and took my wife. Um, the last thing that I'm going to pick is there's been a series of videos from the guys that do internet business mastery, which is a podcast about building an online business. And, uh, They've they've put out I think four three or four videos in the series, and uh, it's basically you know just step by step how to get online income fast, and uh, the stuff that they're putting out is just awesome. It, it's really good. The videos are about ten minutes a piece, and uh, it, it really is just a quick guide. We're not talking about like major money, but it's it's just getting you to the point where you're making money, and then you know how to kind of ramp up from there. So, um, highly recommend it. You can find that at internetbusinessmastery.com. And, uh, those are my picks. Now, are there any announcements before we take off? I'm, uh, I do this all all the time. I wasn't sure it was going to be relevant to the podcast, so I'm glad to have the spot for it, but I'm always encouraging, uh, newbies that I meet at either DC Rug or Arlington Ruby to, um, do a presentation somewhere. So go to your local meetup group and just ask if you can pre- present something for five minutes. We've had a few people um, in Arlington Ruby in particular who are totally new and come to me and ask for advice. And I say, um, first, take my advice. And second, do a presentation at the next meetup. I will give you five minutes ahead of time. And if you just put your head down and learn something, um, you'll actually find that there are experts in the room who haven't touched on the topic that you're looking at. Uh, so I think a lot of people who are getting into trying to grow their careers and getting into Ruby development, um, they think that everyone else already knows everything, so they're not going to try and teach it, but it's it's just not true. So um, go out to meetups and uh, talk to people and get in front of them and present something. That That is terrific advice. And if you can't, if you don't know where the local user group is, 
just just reach out to to me or somebody else in the community on Twitter or something, and I would bet that we can find something that is reasonably close to you. And if not, then, you know, you can always start up a group. Actually, I should give a shout-out. Um, there's a new one starting up uh, called the Ruby Hangout, which is uh, Google um, Hangouts Ruby Meetup. I think, uh, gosh, I'll have to find the link, but um, I think they're... You can only have so many people in a Google Hangout, but then you'll be able to watch the rest of it on YouTube. Um, so uh, if you are in the middle of nowhere and have trouble getting out to places, either for family reasons or you're just far away, um, that's an interesting one that's starting up. I think October 3rd is going to be their first meetup, so we'll we'll link to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eric, is there anything that you wanted to bring up that's going on with you and your business? No, not that I can think of. All right, cool. Well, then we will uh, wrap this all up. We will catch you all next week. Take care.